Hello and welcome everyone uh, to Craftcast, the Freemasons podcast. I'm here today with Sean and James, as always. Uh, how are we today, guys? I am well. Uh, I, at the time of recording this, I have uh, was at a lodge meeting. I was kind enough to be invited by Harrington Lodge in Derbyshire to give a presentation on communicating Freemasonry, which was fantastic. It was lovely to be up there in Long Eaton, which is in Derbyshire, I believe. Um, but I was actually staying just across the border in Nottinghamshire, so I am travel-weary, but well overall, unlike <laughs> Brother Dalton, who we hope is not contagious. I, I may have a slight cold that I'm recovering from, uh, but I'm okay. It's good to be with you. Hopefully I don't sound too bizarre on the microphone. Are you on, are you on the Lemsip? I am on the day nurse, day and night nurse, the strong stuff. You looked at me very ominously there. You, <laughs> said, uh, you know, I've got a cold and looked straight yeah, at me. It's <laughs> coming to you. Yeah. And I have deliberately chosen to sit next to you, Stephen. Yeah, uh, I'm honoured. Yeah. But, and, and how are you, Stephen? Uh, yeah, I mean, probably somewhere in between both of you. How's life as a student? Uh, you know this is a thing now. <laughs> Because you're a student, me and James are desperate to hark back to our memories as undergraduates. So are we, are we going to have a, an episode of Diaries of a Student? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> Diaries of a Student. Of course, when, when Sean and I were students, so everything was in black and white, clearly. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. It's our absolute pleasure today to be joined by the most worshipful brother, Jonathan Spence, Programme Master. Sir, it's good to have you with us. It's very nice to be here. Very kind of you to invite me. And please, um, just call me Jonathan, don't you, sir? Oh, fantastic. Well, Jonathan, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. Let's start at the beginning, if we may. What was it that attracted you to Freemasonry in the first place? I was asked whether I'd like to become a Mason at a rugby club dinner when I was 20 by the deputy headmaster of my school. And there were members in the family and my great-grandfather had been a, uh, a mason in Scotland. And um, so I went home and chatted to my grandfather, and he sort of said, well, go and research it. Well, in those days, we had, didn't have the web. I had to go down to the city library in Rochester, so I did a little bit of research. Fortunately, I didn't read the wrong books. <laughs> and I just said, well, I, yes, I'd be very interested, but when I was 21, and when I turned 21, um, I got a birthday card from the deputy headmaster of the school together with a, um, a joining form. <laughs> And I just thought it was quite intriguing. In, in those days, were you allowed to join at 18 with a dispensation? or I think so, but uh, the school lodges typically didn't have it in those days. They waited until mm. 21, so it was only the university, particularly Oxford, the Apollo University Lodge in Oxford and Isaac Newton in Cambridge, where the dispensation was typically given. Right. I'm not aware of it being a normal form of things uh, 40 years ago, because this was in mm. 1982. Mm. Uh, and you know, I think things have happily moved on since then. <laughs> yes. And and obviously, I guess, back in those days, you couldn't have possibly imagined that now, 40 years on, you'd be a, a ruler in the craft. How does someone become a ruler? Presumably, you know, a letter doesn't just drop through the letterbox and you've got a lovely bit of headed paper inviting you to become a ruler. Or maybe it does, Jonathan. Maybe you'll tell me otherwise. Um, funnily enough, I was asked this question. Uh, during the Sky documentary. Oh, right, okay. And my answer is the same. <laughs> if I knew that, I may not actually be sitting here. Um, I think it, it's one of those processes. Is it's like, how does anyone become a provincial officer or a grand officer? You're asked to do various things. You do it to the best of your ability. And then 
people, others decide, well, let's use them, use the person for some, somebody else. And I've, I've been very lucky uh, in the sense of, in my particular case, I was master of my school lodge at the age of 28. I then became a provincial grand steward in East Kent. Now I was provincial junior grand warden, grand steward. I obviously could walk in step and carry a wand because then <laughs> the then Grand Director of Ceremonies, Peter Lowndes, asked me whether I'd be a deputy GDC. And it sort of went from there. So I did mm. lots of ceremonial work. In those days, when I was deputy GDC, we looked after London. So I, my first three months, I remember extremely well because I was out and I'd only just got married. Um, so at the age of 38 to my <laughs> Spanish wife um, and suddenly I was on duty I did six or seven London centenaries a bicentenary in Lancashire about four provincial installations and a couple of charity festivals all in the first three months and for whatever reason obviously people felt that I was doing a reasonably good job so it sort of went from there but quite how you make the jump from GDC <laughs> to deputy grandmaster, uh, that well. that was a bit, and there was a story in that, in that the deputy grandmaster is usually is responsible for looking after the charities, overseeing the charities from the grand lodge perspective. Mm. And at the time, we had four charities, and the then program master, Lord Northampton, uh, said they needed my corporate finance and other skills in order to create the MCF. Oh. Um, so I, there was a particular task that was asked of me in addition to all the other things the deputy grandmaster right has to do so i suspect that was a right. that's the real answer i happen <laughs> to have the right skills to do the a particular job at the right time and over the last 40 years what would you say has been the most memorable moment you've had in freemasonry gosh i've had quite a few <laughs> memorable i mean it's quite difficult to distill it down mm. to mm. one particular event i mean uh, the ones that i would draw out would be the tercentenary at the albert hall mm. um as gdc proclaiming the grand master for the very first time in the full grand temple that was pretty nerve-wracking i was going to say yeah um the creation of london we did a big ceremony at the albert hall which i i did as gdc only six months into being gdc so it was a bit of a baptism of fire uh, you don't want to mess that one up um but also the the really vast numbers of Masons I've met in individual little things. I always enjoy going, if I go on a duty, going down to the bar and just chatting to the members of a lodge mm. and just hear, just learning about them and that. So it's, it's a very varied answer. Mm. So I, th I think it's quite difficult to say there is one particular thing that you um, would say is the most memorable. Could I pick you up on when you were proclaiming the Grand Master? How long does it take you to learn that piece of work? Um, to actually learn it, as in from start to finish, and, and then polish it up, the actual learning uh, took three days. Wow. Building it up. Yes. It's, it's something like 28 or 29 lines, or it right. certainly was when I was doing it. And then you just keep, keep on it. polishing it. But nothing quite prepares you for when you're doing it. And it's always, actually, in my, in my particular case, I became the Grandmaster for the first time with the Grandmaster being there. Right. Because we were installing the new Deputy Grandmaster, which was not really part of the plan. The part right. of the plan was 
do it, practice in March, do it in April with the Grandmaster present. So it was particularly challenging to sort of try and get that right. But nothing quite prepares you for the fact that a full temple, mm. you wouldn't believe the number of people that fiddle with their gloves <laughs> in the balconies, which actually can be quite distracting. Yeah, so yeah. fortunately, um, Gavin Purser, had, who was GDC before Peter, warned me about this and said, whatever you do, if you look at them, you'll be put off. There's a, there is a plain bit of wall between the balconies with a sort of a sculpture on it. Mm. Just stare at that right. and just cut mm. everything else out. And then you look at them when you're actually doing the last bit, calling on them to salute. Wow. And that was very, very good advice because um, it was pretty nerve-wracking. Yes, I can imagine. How how do you? I mean, I think everyone has their own take on how they learn their ritual. To how do you go about learning your ritual when you first dis, you know need to learn a piece or brush up on a piece that you've? I'm sure you've done pretty much all of it. So to brush up it, on it at least, you would be surprised. I'm still I'm still doing new things. I actually did the address to the brethren for the first time this year. All right. Was that at DKW lodge? It, um, that was the second time I did oh, okay. the city, <laughs> city of London lodge of installed masters for the very first time. Wow. It's just one of those things. I just mm. I, I've done the wardens a number of times and, mm. and the master a huge amount of time. So always in sections. So build it up in sections, um, and then as you just repeat, it's, it's it's rather like when I was having to learn anything for my degree. I'd write it out and write it out two or three times, mm. so that it really goes in and stays in. And of course, the other thing is, um, I happen to be a member of a number of lodges, all of which have slightly different ritual. And I've seen more ceremonies in one particular lodge than I have any of the others, just because of the nature of mm. the lodge. Mm. Um, and I find myself not actually able to learn strictly <laughs> per the book, because there are phrases that come in from mm. other rituals which are, <laughs> with which I happen to be familiar. So I have a sort of slightly hybrid. I would never attempt to do a silver matchbox or anything like that. Oh, really? Um because because of this, it just there are phrases that come in in different ceremonies, um, which I so I will I have a mixture of the working of my mother lodge, uh, emulation and Apollo University lodge, right. and it's not necessarily very clear um, which version I'm actually going to do at any one time. So it's always a surprise for the brethren on the occasion. Which version? <laughs> what a surprise for me, actually, <laughs> um, Jonathan. We've, we've talked about some of the highlights over the last 40 years. I guess for us, probably the biggest highlight we can think of for you would be the recent appointment to Programme Master. How did it feel for you to be walking into the Grand Temple in front of all of those Freemasons from across the world and to be invested in that role? It was absolutely nerve-wracking before we went in, standing outside, knowing that... Um, Grand Lodge had been opened, etc. And one of the more amusing things when I look back on it, it didn't seem amusing at the time, was I'd quite forgotten how long the escort was. Uh. Um, so I positioned myself about three metres past the screens as you come out. And as the doors opened and I saw them coming, there was a real moment of panic and I suddenly thought, I'm, I'm not standing far enough back. They'll, they'll never be able to manoeuvre. And I kept on walking back until I actually hit the screen on the other side. Um, but once we got once we got going, it, it was fine. But the, the and walking into a full grand temple and knowing that there were brethren in the other rooms 
so extra rooms, the sheer numbers that, that turned out to it was very, well, both moving and and inspiring, the fact mm. that uh, the membership were willing to come in such numbers uh, to witness something which is never likely to happen again with three rulers mm. being installed at once. I mean, we've gone back and checked. We cannot find anything in the records that say we've done three at the same time mm. uh, before. So... Um, yeah, it was. It got easier as it went on. Once I'd actually taken the obligation, then it got a bit easier. Yes. Um, well, I mean, it must be quite, quite nice to to know. Obviously, everyone turned up for that, but the trust that sort of everyone is everyone is wanting you to do well. Everyone there knowing that that they trust that you're going to do an exceptional job over the next, what you know, seven year plan, for example, that you have. Um, it must be quite nerve-wracking, but equally quite, you know, sort of encouraging that, that everyone's there and looking forward to seeing what, sort of what, what you've got in store for us, I guess. <laughs> Actually, that's a good point to ask you, Jonathan, about the uh, upcoming seven-year strategy for you, Jilly, and Supreme Grand Chapter. Obviously, a, a lot of work's going into it already. Without giving away too much, no spoilers in this podcast, if we can, <laughs> um, what are your hopes for Freemasonry in the next seven years or so? Um in essence, that we maintain and strengthen ourselves as a thriving organisation and that all of our members really enjoy their masonry. Mm. Uh, and because they enjoy it, that they engage with it and therefore they get so much more out of it. And the organisation uh, as a whole is strengthened by that. And if we can look back and say we have made that progress uh, from, from a reasonable position, don't get me wrong, I mean, we're not in any way in trouble but we need to be doing things in order to strengthen ourselves so that we have a good long-term future and remembering i think that we need to also adapt as society adapts i mean Mm. one of the things i feel very strongly about is i'm still working i'm only just 62 Mm. um, and i'm still working i do a variety of all sorts of different things different roles as well as this, and it is very important we have a lot of our members in the ages from their 20s right through to their 60s who are still working. We also have members who are no longer working, they've retired and enjoying their retirements and enjoying their masonry. And we need to remember that we have to be sensitive to achieving the right balance so that mm. it's enjoyment for all, at, at yes. all, the, all the age ranges and all the different circumstances in life. And we have to remember that I very strongly believe that there are priorities for individuals. The first is your family. The second is your work, if you are working. And third is other things, which includes masonry. Mm. And it's not to belittle the importance of masonry, but it is to make sure that we get that balance in life right. Because if we have a balance in in life, um, then we're so much happier as individuals mm-hmm. and there are times when we're out of balance and we're less happy but if we've got those things as our, as our fundamental principles yes then actually we've got a much better chance of um, thriving and enjoying i think if you can get that balance right as well it probably enables you to enjoy your freemasonry even more uh, than if you're just only doing that and it's all all that you, all all consuming if you can have that balance it's probably quite 
as a student, I can certainly say that I, I look forward to trying to find that balance when I go oh, to work. Oh, good luck with that. You're having enough trouble being finding your balance <laughs> as a student. <laughs> Staying on his feet is the so, balance issue, yeah. So when you're, when you're not in your regalia, what does your sort of behind-the-scenes day, uh, behind day look like as, as a programme master? Is it is it all Freemasonry or, like you say, well, it isn't all Freemasonry. What, what else do you get up to? Uh, well, no, it clearly isn't all Freemasonry. <laughs> there are days like today when it is entirely Freemasonry. Uh, I'm in meetings. Sorry about that. Well, it's right. <laughs> no, no problem. And which is great. And there are days when I do other things and a bit of Freemasonry. I mean, so the behind the scenes when I'm not uh, at a, one of my lodges or doing on ceremonial duty is most days, and I try not to do it at the weekends, but in the run up to um, the December QC when we will be launching the. Um, strategy for Freemasonry 2022 and beyond to the, to the membership um, calls almost every day on some or other aspect of Freemasonry. Um, Zoom meetings, thank God for Zoom, is all I can say. It's one of the <laughs> one of the of the terrible time of the pandemic. One of the things that's happened, which mm. we should continue to use, are the technological assistance to to be. A, effective and not have to always get on a train to go somewhere to have a meeting. Yes. So we use that quite a lot. So I would say every day of the week I have part of a day where I am doing something involving Freemasonry. Maybe a call with the Grand Secretary or the President of the Board, or members of the Strategy Working Group, or even, dare I say it, the comms team. Um, <laughs> we know we're in trouble when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so there's an aspect. But, you know, I happen to have all sorts of things that I do. So I, I work um, at Queen's College. I'm a non-exec director of bank. I'm a non-exec director of metals trading company. I hold a commission in the Army Reserves. There are all sorts of things that um, do a bit of rugby occasionally, go and watch go and watch the old rugby match, referee the old rugby match, do some hobbies, garden, feed my fish, you know. Well, I was going to ask what other hobbies you have outside of that. Sounds like a lot of work, so what, <laughs> what you do in your downtime. Oh, well, downtime, well, I, I try and referee some rugby. It's about the fourth time I've done it, um, uh, which is which I do enjoy. It keeps me fit, keeps me uh, keeps my weight down, um, which is quite helpful. Um, I paint 28 millimetre metal soldiers, which I started to do when I was nine years old, when I was sent off to prep school, and my father bought me six French Imperial Guard, six Highlanders, and six Scots Greys from the Waterloo period. Um, my son also does it, so I do that. Mm. Um, very keen on railways, so in the press is a building a model railway in a rather large part of the house, much to my wife's dismay as to how big the model <laughs> row is going to be. Um, and, you know, lots of reading. <clears throat> I enjoy classical music. Going to watch my favourite rugby team when I can. Going to Twickenham when I can. Walking. I enjoy a lot of walking. Mm. Uh, so, getting out and about. And, and a bit of travel when we can. Now, now Fred is at... Um, University, my wife is very keen. We do a bit of travelling as and when we can. So uh, not just to family weddings. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, Jonathan, you talked earlier about the need to be more inclusive for people that are still working. And uh, around the table here, we've got, you know, Sean, Stephen and myself, three young Freemasons. What more do you think the craft needs to do to appeal to people of our age, sort of mid-20s, early 30s? That's a really good question, but it's not just what do we need to appeal to your age group. 
because actually the thing we have to remember is that Freemasonry is an intergenerational thing. Yes. Mm. But we need to determine what are the best things. So we're, we've done quite a lot of work. In fact, uh, Sean will know this on why Freemasonry, why become a Mason. But we're extending that to why remain a Mason um, because that's really quite important. And we've got to use yourselves and others like you as the ambassadors. Well, what is it about Masonry? And we've got to listen and what is it about masonry that you have found attractive? What are the particular points that make it appealing? And do the same with people in their 40s, their 50s. What's going to keep 60s. you here for the next 20, for mm-hmm. example? What's going to keep you here for the next 20? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and what is it about it? Because we all know that there are multiple reasons and different reasons why people join masonry. There's no one single reason. Well, um, on the topic of other things that we can do to be inclusive uh, uh, and involving everyone in in the world of Freemasonry. I've got a vested interest as being from Gibraltar and being from a district myself, but what do you feel is the importance of our districts and even more so, what do you think maybe we can do to involve districts more in sort of mainland Freemasonry and in what goes on here at UGLE? Um, As you know, Stephen, (laughs) I'm a big fan of the districts because English Freemasonry is unique. It's quite different to Scots or Irish Freemasonry and continental Freemasonry for the simple reason that we explicitly say that the Royal Arch is an integral part of this Grand Lodge. We are the only Grand Lodge that does it. And the districts are every bit as contributing to the uniqueness of English Freemasonry, but in different parts of the world. And there are local customs as well which are incorporated. And I've been lucky. I've visited over the years not all, but many of our districts. Now, one of the issues is because of distance how do we make them feel as important within and how do they contribute in a way where they feel that they are contributing so um i'm not giving it telling any tales out of school here when (laughs) i say that we have done i have done a lot of presentations to provincial and district grandmasters and grand superintendents and it was deliberately done to include all of the districts as well as all of the provinces in the metropolitan area. So that this, what we're launching in December, is a strategy for the whole of the English constitution. Now, clearly, different things will be needed in mm. different districts. And so I would like to see district representation on some of our central bodies. Now, you know whether we can achieve that in a way, but with Zoom, who knows? Mm. And funny enough, it's the sort of thing that district grandmasters and grand superintendents are saying they'd also like to be involved. So, you know, we'll see where we go, but it's something I'm keen to explore. Mm. Fascinating. Well, as a Gibraltarian, that's lovely to hear, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jonathan, as you may be aware, we uh, when we knew you were going to be joining us, we put out a call to members in First Rising and social media to ask them to send through their questions to the Programme Master. And I think it's safe to say, isn't it, gents? We were inundated. <laughs> they Wide did response. Not, yeah. They did not let us down. <laughs> they did not let us down. But we, we've chosen four. Uh, the first question comes from Somerset Freemasons from their Twitter page. And they ask you, if you could change anything about the craft, what, which I suppose you can, <laughs> uh, what would you change and why? <laughs> They're asking the right person. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, the Programme Master can't change. All the Programme Master and the rulers and the provincial rulers can do is to set out a stall and persuade the members 
change has to come from the members. So that's, that's the first thing. Yeah. And what I would say is that we do become more willing to innovate because there's a tendency not to be willing for a reason, mm. yeah, like a lot of organisations. And when it works, really celebrate the fact it works, but be brave enough to say, well, that didn't quite work the way we hoped. So I would say a, a sort of becoming an, organ, uh, an organisation where we're willing to learn, to mm. try something and learn. And we've made a lot of progress on that, but mm. I'd like to see that developed. So that would be, that would be my, um, if I could influence a change across Freemasonry, that would be the one that I would like to influence. So our next question from the membership is from Michael Norton from Portcullis Lodge, number 2038. And he asks, did you get a new apron when you became Programme Master or did you inherit the past Programme Master's apron? Ah, the, the, the answer to both those parts is yes. <laughs> I did get a new apron for um, when I'm not coming to Freemasons Hall, so if I go to a lodge and it happens to be full-dress regalia. But otherwise, so a new full-dress apron for at home, but otherwise I inherited my undress aprons and the one that I will wear when I'm on duty from the Grand Lodge. This, we seem to have a supply of Programme Master's aprons. I think we've got enough for the grand, both the Grand Master and the Pro and the past Pros all to turn up all, oh, all in aprons. So they're basically, um, yeah, I inherited a a past Pros apron from a past from a past Pro, but I'm not sure which one. <laughs> so, so you've got a, a whole load of them that have been passed down the generations. Basically, they could be 200 years old. For uh, the one I'm wearing is is uh, when I'm on duty is very old. <laughs> in fact, so old the belt actually went in the middle of the installation oh no did it yeah, yeah. so uh, luckily it didn't go completely it was only about a quarter of an inch still in place fortunately uh, disaster was averted <laughs> that would have been awkward john vasquez would have had to appear with a safety pin and yeah. um okay the the next question from uh, marcus nanini what's the impact of, of technology and social media to the fraternity do you think and i assume that means sort of what impact you see it having as much as what it has had already i think that it's had i mean social media is a double-edged sword because it can be both positive and negative but i would mm. say that it's given us the opportunity to communicate what we're really about effectively mm. to an audience that we might not necessarily i mean i'm talking about non-masonic audience mm. and therefore we're able so to deal with um the enough is enough campaign was exemplified this on the front foot and mm. we've got to maintain ourselves on the front foot and actually to be able to communicate with different generations but uh, I know full well that my son of 19 uses social, a different set of social media to well probably not use him but, um, <laughs> but, but to, James, but to yes. James and Sean yes. and James and Sean uses a different set of social media yeah. to the generation above and actually if we're, we're smart and I think we are smart visibly comms, we have the ability to communicate much more effectively with a much broader audience and more consistently. I would would say that actually as a as a comms officer of a district, I found that another really something that I was really wasn't expecting, mm. a really nice part of social media is that when we sort of post things, it's actually getting what we do as a district out to the rest of them, you know, the, the rest of the fraternity. And we, I actually had someone uh, from my mother lodge put on our mother lodge, my mother lodge group chat, saying, "Oh, uh, someone from S South Sudan told me the other day." 
that you enjoyed a trip to to Spain oh, and wow. enjoyed a, a lodge meeting there. We saw it, we saw it, we thought it looked great, and it's okay. like you know that that was exactly yeah. you know something really unexpected, but sort of the beauty, one of those positive sides of social media, I guess. Right, final question. This one is from Liam East from Cali Lodge number seven five two five in the Great Province of Wiltshire. <laughs> uh, going through the chair next year, if you could give me one piece of advice, what would it be? Relax and enjoy it. Yeah. And there's everybody there to help you. Mm. It only comes once. Well, it might not come once. You might go through multiple chairs, but for the first time. First time. Yeah, relax and enjoy it. Perfect. There you go, Liam. You've heard it from the programme master himself. (laughs) Right, Jonathan, we now have, to finish up, a few quickfire questions. Mr. Dalton. Favourite drink? Indian pale ale. Uh, favourite holiday destination? Any of the mountains of Spain. Favourite sports team? Harlequins. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to give you a laugh somewhere. <laughs> Tea or coffee? Tea. Rather topical for a podcast. Favourite word? <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Serendipitous. Oh, Ooh, fantastic. What and a good word. last but not least, childhood hero. Nelson. That's a good one. Good way to end. Jonathan, thank you very much for your time. Uh, We really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'm sure our listeners will uh, very much have enjoyed this episode too. Um, We'd love to have you back at some point, maybe in December with the strategy. Who knows what might happen? I'm sure we've put you on the spot. We are filling your calendar now. Uh, Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) But thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. Wow. Gentlemen, I think we can all agree that that was absolutely fascinating, wasn't it? Really enjoyable. Uh, It was obviously a great pleasure to uh, welcome the Programme Master into the recording studio here at Freemasons Hall today. And listen, all of you lovely listeners, you can, of course, catch up with the podcast on all major softwares. That's your Spotify, that's your Amazon Music, that's all of the above, plus many, many more. Do drop us a tweet, the UJLE Twitter page, at UJLE underscore Grand Lodge. Drop us a comment on Facebook at United Grand Lodge of England or on Instagram on the same handle and of course email us in the old fashioned way a good old email podcasts at ujelly.org.uk let us know if there's a particular topic that you want to hear about and we will do our utmost to get that recorded for you we cannot wait to see you next time and goodbye goodbye goodbye